listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Well, again, welcome uh, to our, our second week of Advent. Advent is not necessarily a biblical term in that in Jesus says, goeth and celebrateth Advent. Uh, but what the church has done uh, is create a calendar to be helpful to think through just different aspects of Christ's life. And Advent is a four-week uh, uh, section of the, of the church calendar where we focus in on really one uh, idea and aspect of Jesus' first coming, which is what Advent means, arrival or coming, uh, in, in expectation of his second. And so last week, we looked at hope, that, that the Messiah was promised and there was hope, and he's promised that he would come again and there is hope. And the second week, we look at, at peace, as we've sung about this morning. And I think peace is one of those words in the church. It's like that, old, that movie, uh, The Princess Bride. It's one of those words, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. I think we use peace, and there's different, obviously, ideas of peace. But when we think of peace often, we think, I put the kids to bed. Peace. Right? We think calm. We think circumstances. We were at uh, my parents' house over Thanksgiving, and we brought our two dogs. Uh, it's our puppy, Maverick, uh, who is a, like an 80-pound puppy. Uh, and my parents have a puppy. Uh, they have a border collie that's like a little squirrel that just jumps everywhere, and she's all over. Her name's Jenny. And Jenny loves Maverick. And anytime Jenny was out, it was chaos. She'd be on top of Maverick. She'd just, she'd just energy, energy, energy. And finally, we're like, put Jenny in the cage. Because when Jenny goes in the cage, there's peace when the dogs lay down. And, we're, we're, and maybe we're self-justifying. It's not our dogs that are a pain. It's your dog that's a pain, right? Because our dogs are perfectly well-behaved. And your dog is nuts. And so put Jenny in the cage. And, and that's kind of what we think about when we think of peace. But I'm pretty sure that's not what it means when Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of putting Jenny in the cage. Or he's the prince of, of uh, he, he, the, the angels say that peace on earth and goodwill to men. I don't think peace on earth is you putting the kids down so that you get to watch another Hallmark movie with the girl from Full House who's a lawyer in New York and she goes back to Montana and she meets the guy who's a Christmas tree farm in her head and they fall in love when grandma's sick and they get a horse. That's, that, that's fine, but I don't think that's what it means with, with peace on earth. It cannot be, because when the Messiah shows up, it's, it's chaos. It's, it's just a mess. Jenny is not in the cage. She's running all over the place. There is no calm. There is no silent night. And so the peace uh, that we talk about, it's, again, I think you keep using that word. You do not know what it means. The peace that we're talking about here is not determined by our outward circumstances. A better idea would be a, there's an inner tranquility, an inner harmony or well-being despite circumstances. And this is important for us to grasp because as followers of Jesus, the Apostle Paul says to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. It's actually an imperative. It's a command. Do this. He says later in one of the pastorals that may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times. 
whether Jenny's in the cage or Jenny's out of the cage, you are to have peace. You are commanded to have peace. And if it's a command, that means there's a choice. I can either let the peace of Christ rule or I cannot. And if it's a choice, then it cannot be determined whether or not Jenny is in or out of the cage. It has to be something deeper than that. That's what's what, that is what Jesus brings. And so that's what we're going to look at today. How do we have peace when Jenny ain't in the cage? Right? When it's a little bit messy, when there's chaos in our lives. That's what our text we're going to look at this morning as we continue in our series in the book of Matthew. Uh, as we look really specifically at the arrival of Jesus the Messiah in Matthew chapter 1. We started this, this series last week. We're going through the book of Matthew. Uh, we've called it All Authority. And really, when we are studying the Gospels, remember, how many Gospels do we have? Quick, trick question? Four. Very good. It wasn't a trick. It was easy, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When you're studying the Gospels, you got to remember that there is a different audience in mind and there's a different perspective of how the author is, is portraying the Lord Jesus. They're hitting a different aspect of who he is, right? For a different reason. So the Gospel of Mark presents Jesus as the suffering servant for all humanity. The Gospel of Luke written predominantly to a Gentile audience, is written to present Jesus as the perfect man, the son of man. He is the second Adam, which is why Luke's genealogy doesn't stop at Abraham. It goes all the way back to Adam to show that this one is the perfect human. He is fully God. He is fully man. The gospel of John focuses in on Jesus's divinity, that he is the son of God, so that in believing in him, you may have life. And the gospel of Matthew is, a, is, a, is the Jewish gospel. It's written to the nation of Israel. And his whole point is to show the nation of Israel that Jesus is the promised king. He is the promised Messiah. He's going to go back to the prophets and say, this is the one you've been waiting for. He is your king. And kings have authority, which is why he starts his gospel with the genealogy that shows that he is the royal Messiah. And he ends his gospel saying what? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so today we're gonna see the arrival of this king, this prince of peace, and he is not going to put Jenny in the cage when he shows up. And so what I'm going to show you real, real quick, I'm going to read through our text. I'm going to highlight two big observations that I think are the cause of the reason some of us don't experience this peace, the reason I don't, and then give us four kind of practical things right from the text. How can I have peace, despite the fact that Jenny may not be in the cage? So let me read our text to us. Matthew chapter 1, familiar text, verses 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, And he called his name Jesus. 
And so remember, this is written to the nation of Israel. And it's helpful to remember in this time, what is Israel going through? What are they experiencing, right? Where are they hearing this for the first time? They had been captives, slaves, oppressed at this point for about 700 years. They were handed off from kingdom to kingdom to kingdom. First, the Assyrians came and took the northern kingdom. Then Babylon came and took the northern king, southern kingdom. And then the Medes and the Persians took over after that. And then the Greeks took over after that. And then the Romans took over after that. And that's where they are. They have been an oppressed people for hundreds of years, 700 years. Okay, 700 years ago, uh, Columbus had not yet sailed the ocean blue. That's how long they were enslaved. They were oppressed, paying exuberant taxes, not able to freely worship the way they wanted, hated, despised, killed, all of that. And on top of that, God had been silent now for 400 years. The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, was written about 400 years earlier. And since then, there's been no prophets. There's been no dreams. There's been no visions. Heaven is quiet, silent. And finally, verse 18, now the birth of the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, the needle finally, it's been on pause, finally the needle seems to be moving a little bit. Finally something is happening and and 700 years plus years before that of expectations of what the Messiah would look like are all built into that. They are looking for a a lot of things in their Messiah. Like they're looking for a, a king Someone who's noble, someone who's like Solomon, someone who's like David. That's what they're looking for. Why? Because he's the Messiah and he's from, he's called the son of David. But they're also looking for a charismatic leader who's going to be able to gather all the people and, and, and rise up so they can follow. They're looking for a warrior because they want to conquer this, this oppressor of Rome and it's going to take a warrior to do that. They're looking for a religious leader like Moses All that is wrapped in. They're looking for, really, they're looking for an Avenger. Captain America meets the Hulk, meets Doctor Strange. That's what they're looking for to deliver them from Rome. That's what's expected. That's not what they get. That's not what they get. What they get is a 15, 16-year-old girl, a blue-collar guy who went to Nazareth Tech, living in a town that doesn't even have a one, one flashing red light and it, it, there's hope, their biggest hope is they'll get a family dollar one day. That's, that's what they get. And not only that, a bunch of nobodies from nowhere, they get scandal. They get scandal. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed, they're engaged. And remember, the engagement period in that culture is a lot different than ours. Right? Every kiss begins with K here. Over there, every marriage begins with moolah. Right? They had a year after the engagement. They're legally married. They had a year to get ready. Where they're technically married on paper, but he's out here working and getting the house ready and she's waiting. And then one day he's going to go and pick up his bride and then they're going to have the celebration and then the marriage is going to be consummated. But at this point, their engagement is a legal thing. The only way to break it off is not to get the ring back. It's to have... It's to actually write a certificate of divorce. But before they have come together, she is found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Right? Scandal. That's, that's where Matthew starts. The arrival of the birth of Jesus is this, the Messiah. Scandal. Chaos. 
Jenny is not in the cage, right? And we, from the Gospel of Luke, there's actually even more to this story. The Gospel of Luke unpacks what happens before this. Before this, there's an older couple named Elizabeth is the woman. They're both from the tribe, and Zechariah, they're from the tribe of Levi. They're like way too old, but they find out they're pregnant. And they find out they're gonna have a boy and his name is gonna be Johnny B, John the Baptist. And Mary is the cousin of Elizabeth. And one day, Mary's just in the house and all of a sudden, an angel shows up, the angel Gabriel, and it's, it's a gender reveal party that she wasn't expecting. Congratulations, Mary, it's a boy. And she responds not by freaking out like the rest of us would, but what we just sang, my soul magnifies the Lord. May it be according to as you have said. And so she leaves her little town of Nazareth and she goes to Elizabeth's house, her cousin who is six months pregnant. When she walks in the door and says, hey, Elizabeth, the baby John the Baptist jumps in her stomach. Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women. And she ends up hanging out with her cousin for three months until John the Baptist is born. But eventually she's got to go home. And when she comes back to Nazareth, now she's three, three and a half months pregnant. And it says she was found. The word is in the passive voice. She doesn't come back. Hey, everyone, Elizabeth's great. And guess what? I'm pregnant. It is discovered she is pregnant, right? And that does not go well in that culture. And how do you think Joseph feels, right? How does he feel when he hears Mary's back? She's pregnant. Right? So when Messiah shows up, it's not, hey, everybody, Messiah's here. It's, it's Jenny is out of the cage. It's scandal. It's disappointment. It's expectations shattered. It's hurt. It's fear. It's all of those things. That's what's going on. And that leads to the first big point that I want you to grasp this morning. And it's this, is that God does things very differently than we would. Kind of a big E in the eye chart, obvious, but yeah. The prophet Isaiah says this, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts, your thoughts. Paul says in Romans, oh, the depths, riches, the wisdom of knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. This is, this is not how we would have drawn it up. It is miraculous enough that the God of heaven would leave and become a man. Just that, the incarnation is, is miraculous, y'all. Do not miss the fact that the one who created everything with the word of his mouth, the writer to Hebrews says that the Lord Jesus holds all things together. He upholds the universe with his right hand. Colossians says that in him, all things were created and for him, the one who created everything for himself becomes one of his creations. He adds humanity to his deity. And that's miraculous enough. But if, if, if don't leave it there, look how he arrives, right? How does he show up? If I'm God and I'm gonna, I have to send my son, then I'm not doing it like this. I'm going to the palace. I'm going to the palace where I got servants aplenty and everything I need, not to the manger where everything is meager. I'm going to a fortress where I'm protected by soldiers and servants and I'm guarded, not to a place where I have to flee for my life because there's a wicked king that wants to kill me. I'm going to fanfare and glory and everyone celebrating that the Messiah is here, not to obscurity where no one except the couple shepherds who are stinky rejects 
or a couple pagan astrologers who are running Miss Madam's palm reader are the only ones who know that Messiah is born. That's the way I'm doing. I'm not coming to a teenage girl who is not looking for a baby right now and to a dad who doesn't want me. Do not miss in the text that Joseph wants nothing to do with this. Nothing to do with this. Her husband, Joseph, he's a just guy. He's, he's a good man, but he does not want this. I didn't sign up for this. He's not gonna put her to shame. He could formally take her before the court and say, she's an adulterer. I'm writing this certificate of divorce. And everyone would be like, yeah, good for you, Joseph. He could embarrass her because he cares for her, because he loves her. He's gonna do it quietly, but he's resolved. It's done. I'm out, Mary. This is over. Which tells me that he doesn't believe Mary's story. Because you know they had a conversation at some point. They had to. There's 150 people living in this town. She had to talk to Joseph and have to explain, Joseph, you don't understand. Angel showed up, unbelievable. He doesn't believe it. He's like, really? That's the best you have? That's the best you got, Mary? An angel? Really? And so he is going to quietly, because he cares for her, end this. And don't miss the fact that the only way God can stop him is to send an angel himself. That's the only way he can be convinced that this is from God, is that God himself sends an angel in a dream to say, she ain't lying. She ain't lying, right? That's not how I would have drawn it up. That is not Jenny in a cage. Yet that is how the Prince of Peace arrives because God does things differently. And here's the encouragement for us in that, right? Because if you look around your life and there's a little chaos, Jenny ain't in a cage. It's a mess. It's not what you want. It's not what you ask. It's not how you drew it up. Remember this. Sometimes God does his most marvelous works in you and through you in the midst of chaos. What's more marvelous except for maybe the cross and resurrection than the incarnation? And it happens in the midst of chaos. And what that teaches me, maybe it's just me, but this is something that, that, that God impressed upon me this week is that, and this is, maybe this is just for me, but it means this, I have to open my hand with my plans for my life. I have to hold on to them very loosely. I have to open my hand with my expectations and I have to hold on to my expectations very loosely because I wonder if we're honest, how many of us have very little tranquility, harmony, peace because of false expectations? Because we expected X and we got Y. Some of you this morning, you expected that you would be the SEC champions. And you thought that I would not say something too. Are you crazy? You thought that the student would beat the master. Shame on you. But the reality is this, there is people, maybe even here, that you could not sleep last night because you thought you could play defensive line better than a 350 pound behemoth. And you're yelling at Kirby and you're yelling at everybody else and you couldn't sleep, why? Because you had expectations that were not met, right? And you think, oh, you're being cruel. As your pastor, it is my job to smash your idols. Okay. <laughs> 
and to show you how hopeless they really are. <laughs> but real, I mean, in all reality, all joking aside, how, many, how much lack of peace do we have because I expected my spouse to be X, Y, and Z and they're A, B, and C. That your job was gonna be here, that your bank account was gonna be here, that you would look like this, be like this, that you thought, oh man, I can't stand, I thought I'd be living in the cold mountains by now, not in this humid, bug-infested southeast. You had expectations with whatever, with your church, with your community group, with your friends, with your kids. I wanted this kid to be an athlete, this kid to be a doctor, this kid to be a lawyer so that I could get to buy me a house in Tybee. This one's a middle school teacher in Baxley. And this one's a musician. I don't even know. And you had expectations. And now you're devastated because Tybee is fleeting. But why? Because you expected X and you got Y. There's a lot of lack of peace when we think God should do it this way. God should do it this way. God should do it this way. And here's what you need to be encouraged by this morning. If God is disrupting your plans it may be a good thing. It may be the best of things. Not how you draw it up. His ways are not our ways. It also means this. Like God may be doing something in you and, and, and God is too creative to do the same thing twice. I know we love this formulaic Christian, this A plus B equals this, right? That's how we love our Christianity. That's not how God rolls. So God may be doing this in this person's life and you're thinking, why didn't we do the same thing with our kids and how come they turned out different? That's not how he rolls. People ask me all the time. I get emails, I get calls. Well, tell me how how you guys planted a church and how do you did this and tell you that. And I'll answer the best I can. But most of the time, you know what I tell them? I don't know. This is what I did. I don't know how it worked, right? I know that's not super encouraging if you're gonna go to our Richmond Hill plant. But the reality is, you think that just because God does it one way here, he's going to do it the same over here? You think he's that boring? He's the ultimate creative. So I'm going to write a book one day, maybe, and I'm going to call it, I don't know, principles to not knowing anything. (laughs) Because my ways are not his ways. There's plenty. If if we, 15 years ago, when we started this church, if you said, what would you do differently? A ton of things. Number one thing, I would never sing and lead worship publicly ever again. Never do that again. We better not to sing than me leading. There's a ton of things. But see, that's what God does. He's too creative. So if he's doing this in your life and this in their life, understand, just because it may be chaos does not mean he is not at work. And some of you are you're thinking that, but you need to know. No, it may be he's absolutely in work and he is doing something grand just like he was for Mary and Joseph. That's the first thing, big observation. Here's the second one. Sometimes when God moves, and this is a hard one for us, but we gotta get it. Sometimes when God makes a move in your life, it actually makes it more challenging initially. You think I'm gonna come to faith and, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a mission trip and everyone's gonna be happy. Your parents are gonna be so thrilled that you're gonna go on a mission trip over spring break and they're like, what are you doing? Why are you wasting your time on that? You're going to step out in faith and do something. You're expecting all your friends to follow you. You're going to turn around and be like, I'm the only one? That's it? You do this because you know this is obedience and you're expecting, okay, God, you got to come through and you're thinking everything's going to go smoothly and the transmission blows in the minivan the next day. Kids get sick. I, I get laid off. And you're like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Mary and Joseph are doing what they're supposed to do. He is faithful. She is faithful. God shows up. Does it make their life easier or more challenging? Initially, more challenging. 
And, and, it, and the reason we got to grasp this is because we, we can't buy a myth that if I just do good, everything will go smoothly. Sometimes, not always. Not always. Doesn't make life easier. Sometimes it makes it more challenging, which is exactly what Jesus told us. I have said these things to you that in me you have what? Peace. Okay? You think, oh, peace is, this is why peace is not Jenny in a cage. In the world you have tribulation. Jenny's out of the cage. But take heart. I've overcome the world. See, peace can't be determined on circumstances. It has to be something related to Christ. And he promises us, sometimes it's going to get challenging, but take courage. Have peace. I've overcome. So how do we do that? Let me give you four things from the text that I think point us to it. Again, this is not a formula. So you're like, oh, good. Give me a formula. No, it's not a formula. But these are principles as you apply them to your life, you'll start seeing that, that harmony despite the chaos that may be going on around you. Look at the response of the angel to Joseph. I think this is critical. But as Joseph considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, and there's that, that again, reminder that he is the Messiah. He comes from David. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. That's an interesting way to put it. Don't fear. He doesn't say, just go get her knucklehead. He says, don't be afraid. Why? Because when things go sideways, what is the natural response? When you hear you have two weeks until you're, you lose your job, what's the natural response? What am I going to do? When you have a doctor that says, hey, there's something on the scan and we don't know what it is, what's your response? Fear. When you have a kid that says, I'm going to drop out of, of med school and I'm going to go join the Peace Corps, what is there? Fear. Right? When you're not in control, there is naturally fear. So he says, don't be afraid. And then he explains, this is from God. This, this was conceived in the Holy Spirit, which he doesn't have a full understanding of that. He doesn't have a, under, a full understanding of the triune God like we do from the full of Scripture. But he, but he knows this is something from God because there's an angel and he's talking about this. And then he explains what's gonna happen. She will bear a son and, and you will call his name Jesus. It's, it's a very common name. It's be like John or Mike. All right, it's the Hebrew name Yeshua, Joshua. It just means Yahweh saves. It's not like he's the only Jesus in town. There's probably a ton of Joshua's in town, but there's significance there because of what he is going to do. You recall his name Yeshua. He's gonna save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Again, he's going back to the Old Testament. Why? This is a Jewish audience. They know their prophets. And he quotes Isaiah 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So if, if the prophet said it, why did they miss it? Because understand that prophecies often have a dual fulfillment that wasn't always clear. There was always an initial fulfillment, but sometimes there was a, a future fulfillment in a dual way that sometimes they missed it. And this specific prophecy comes from Isaiah 7. What was going on is the king of Judah, the prophet shows up and says, okay, these two nations that are coming to get you, don't worry about them. I got it. No threat to you. Everything's going to be fine. And if you don't believe me, ask for a sign, any sign. God says he'll give you any sign. And King Ahaz says, oh, I don't need a sign. I don't need a sign. And Isaiah says to him, no, here's the sign that God gives you. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they will call his name Emmanuel. 
So the immediate fulfillment was there was some young unmarried woman who was gonna have a kid before this all took place and they were gonna name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the initial fulfillment. But they, they got that, but they missed the future fulfillment that this is exactly what God was gonna do through a virgin through, uh, from Nazareth. And it would literally be not just his name, that God would literally be with us. And so that's why they missed it. And that's why we can see it now looking back. But here, here's what you have to understand. We often talk in the church about there's things that we hold with an open hand and there's things that we hold with a closed fist, right? There's doctrines that, that are specific to maybe what we hold to as a church with baptism or the theology of, of eschatology, the end times or things like that. Okay, those are open-handed issues. That we have convictions on them, but they're open-handed. And then there's those things which we do not compromise of that are, no, it's not open for debate. The virgin birth is one of those things. It is not a, well, maybe, it doesn't really matter. It absolutely matters. In fact, all of our faith rests on the truth of the virgin birth. Let me give you three reasons why. Number one, it proves that Jesus comes from heaven and not from earth. Number two, because if, if Jesus has a physical father, that means he has a sin nature, which he got from his dad. Because the sin nature is passed down from Adam to his sons, to his sons, to his sons, to his sons, all the way down to your daddy who gave you his sin nature. So if Jesus has a physical earthly father, then that means Jesus has a sin nature. So even if he never sinned once in his whole life, he still went to the cross and it meant nothing because he wasn't perfect. So God and his brilliance and his creativity, he, still, he is able to bring us one who is like us, but yet who escapes the sin nature. Why? Through the virgin conception. That's the second reason. Third reason is, and this is maybe the biggest for me, why do I believe it? Because it says it. And maybe... That's, you know, that's a circular argument. Not if the word of God is true. And I know, you know, the scientists in the world are gonna be like, well, that's physically impossible. You are right, sir, it is. That's why it's called a miracle. That's why it is a God thing that he does this. But it is essential to our faith. But don't miss the tree in front of the forest. When Joseph is struggling and he's worried and he's not calm and he's about to do this thing that, that God doesn't want him to do, how does God give him peace? He points him to what? To the word of God. This is what the prophet said. And this is the first way that we have peace, even though Jenny's running wild, is that peace comes from trusting God's word. And, and Joseph's gonna need this because every other voice that's in his ear, what do you think his mama's telling him right now? You will not bring that woman into our house. And if you do, you are not coming to Thanksgiving. What do you think his friends are saying to him? Joseph, dude, you cannot do this. Look what she did to you. He needs some peace from somewhere. Where does he get it? This is what God is doing. This is what God is doing. This is what the prophet said. This is what the, he's got to keep coming back to that for peace. The same with, with us. Prophet Isaiah says, you keep him in what? Perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts you. The psalmist says, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. You have peace when you believe what God has said. It's, it's not gonna come from Jenny being in or out of the cage. It's gonna come from the word of God. Because you look around and this world's got Jenny's all over. We got inflation. We got Omicron. We got blown SEC championships. We got... School shootings, we got, we got chaos. You, you gonna find peace there? 
This is why when Jesus, again, what I read earlier, I quoted John 16. What does he say to the disciples? These is, this is what I've told you so that you can have peace. I've told you when Jesus speaks, that's the word of God. I've given you my word. Why? So you can have peace. In this world, you have trouble. And we're going to keep encouraging and banging this drum. You need to renew your mind with the word of God. You need to know the word of God. You need to memorize the word of God. You need to memorize the promises of God. Do you know how significant the promises of God are for you? They're promises for you. So that when you face Jenny out of the cage and your money, and money is a legit, I mean, we, we struggle with that, right? Am I going to have enough for college? Am I going to have enough for this? I lose my job, right? And so what do we do when we face that financial crunch and we don't know what to do? Well, we come back to what Jesus says, don't worry about what you eat and your clothes, right? I clothe the lilies, I feed the birds, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added. That is a precious and magnificent promise to you that God is going to feed you and clothe you because he's a good dad. When you're attacked by Satan and you're tempted by Satan in this area and then you even fall, he's the one tempting you and then on the backside, he's the one accusing you because he's the accuser of the brethren. Where do I go when I've done it again and again and again? I quote the promise of God, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me for all unrighteousness. That whom the son has set free is free indeed. That's where I go. Right? That's where I go. When I'm scared, when I'm fearful, when of the unknown, I go to the promise that God makes to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When I feel like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, boom, I pray, boom, it comes back down. God doesn't hear me. God doesn't listening. God's not answering. Where do I go? First John 5. This is the confidence that you and I have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us. And you could go on and on and on. Just Google promises of God and start picking the ones you want to memorize where you're at. I don't feel loved. I don't feel cherished. Romans 8, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Not height, nor death, spiritual, unspiritual, anything. This, that's why God has given us his word. Because peace, when we trust it. Not just from when we trust it, but also secondly, from when we obey it. Right? When we obey God's word. Look at the, look at, look at the next portion uh, of the text. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, circle these two words. He did. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded. He didn't say like, man, that was a funky dream. That's been a bad burrito or something. That's weird. He does it. He does it. And at the end it says, and he called his name Jesus. He names it just what the angel tells him. And, and that's significant in that culture because when he names that boy, it's his formal adoption of that boy. He is adopting this son who he didn't want as his own. And think about the blessing of him being able to do so. Was it more challenging up front? Absolutely. But think about the blessing of him. Who, who got to spend more time with, with the Lord Jesus than anybody? You think, oh, Peter and John. Peter and John got three years. Who was working with his daddy in his shop for 25 years? Joseph. Who's the one who got to hold this little baby and rock him to sleep to give Mary a break? He got to hold the one who Hebrews says upholds the universe. 
He got to, when, when he fell on and hurt his knee, when he's learning to walk, he got to pick him up and comfort the one who will one day wipe away the tears from every eye. He got to teach to speak and hear, hear the words Papa or Daddy from the one who's going to tell us, your Father who is in heaven. Teach us how God is a Father. He got to teach to work with wood, who, the one who ironically created wood, and who would one day have his hands nailed to the wooden cross. Think about the blessing that Joseph got because he followed. Did it make it easier? Not initially. But there was peace. And here's what I know. From the Bible, yes, but just from Bill 101. When I choose to disobey God, the result is never peace. It never is. Anyone here like, yeah, when I chose that addiction, when I chose that wreck of a relationship, when I chose that fill in the blank, that was a good decision. That brought me peace. Is anyone there? No, because sin does not bring peace. It brings destruction and death and hiding and shame and guilt. But the son of man came to bring life and life abundant. Sin offers promises it cannot keep. Jesus offers life. Following him is life. And so even when it's chaos, even when I'm, see, the comfort is this. When I do what God has told me to do, and even if Jenny is running all over the place, at least I know I am in the middle of God's will. And that is the safest place you can be. Mary and Joseph are in the middle of God's will and it is chaos around them. But that is the safest place for them to be. Peace comes from acting on God's word. Here's the third thing. Peace in life, this is a big one, is a result of peace with God. The entire reason that Jesus came One reason. It's not for him to tell us what love is and be kind to one another and to teach us some things. He came for one reason and the angel tells Joseph, he will save his people from their sins, which is what his name means, Yahweh saves. That is why he came. That's why he entered into our world so that he could save us. I was listening to David Jeremiah last week. He was talking about how people don't like the, in the church don't like the word saved anymore. Because it implies that you have need and you're, you're desperate and that you, you, you can't do it on your own. But that, that's the whole point. You were an object of God's wrath. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And if God did not act, you would die in that condition and spend an eternity without Christ in hell. And so God loved the world so much that he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5 says, since we have been justified by faith in Christ, we have peace. There's only one way to peace and it's through Christ. That was your greatest need. Your greatest need is not to get married. It's not to get into Georgia. It's not to have a kid. It's not to get a new job. It's not to get whatever. Your greatest need was that you were an enemy of God and Jesus met that need. And the reason why we have peace when Jenny's running around is because we know that God met the greatest need you had. And if he met your greatest need, he loved you so much that he would meet your greatest need. Don't you think he can take care of the job, the cancer, the, the uh, in-laws that are this, the whatever. And if he's allowed chaos, he's already proved that he loves you so much that he would give all he had. So don't you think that this, are, this is for a reason? That's why we can have peace in the midst of all this. That's how we let the word, the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Right? And then there's one more thing. This is the last one. 
The peace comes from knowing that God is with us. We say that in church, especially during Christmas, because we sing a bunch of songs about Emmanuel. Here, here, here's what I was thinking about is this week as I just was reflecting on this text. Do I believe that? Do you believe that? Do you really believe that God, the creator God, is with you right now? Do you? Because if, if I do, that changes a lot, doesn't it? I mean, if God is literally with me and he's with you, what do I have to fear? I mean, is there anything to fear? And this is, and John gets it because John says, if, if God is for us, and Paul gets it, if God is for us, well, who can be against you? There, there's meant to be a comforting aspect. And so this gospel, which talks about Jesus' authority, think about this. It starts with Emmanuel, God with us. How does the gospel end? Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's, it's a precious doctrine that we need to grasp as a church, that God becomes one of us so that he could understand and sympathize with us. So that you can go to him and, and, and you don't have to say, oh, Jesus, you don't really understand this, but here's what I'm going through. No, he says, no, 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 I get it completely because I've been tempted in all ways yet without sin. I've been rejected. I've, I've done it all. So now you can come to me and find grace and you can find help because I'm with you. There's something comforting and that's just why we need to be reminded. This is why Emmanuel shows up. This is why it's so vital for us to believe that God literally, that the God of the universe, y'all, just tr try to get this. He is here. He's not sitting in heaven just like watching from a distance on a big screen. He doesn't have 55,000 big screens watching churches. He is here. He is in our midst right now. Which if you're sleeping through the sermon, he sees you. He's here. That's huge that God would care so much that he would be here. And it's meant to comfort you. So you know what? Jenny may be running all around. Here's how you have peace. God is with you. God is with you, right? Trust in God's word. Act on God's word. Understand this. The only true peace is when you have peace with God. And if you're here this morning and you're looking for peace and you do not have a relationship with God through Christ, you may get Jenny in the cage, but you will never have real peace. You may get all the money you want and the fame you want, and, and Georgia still may win the national title, but you'll never have peace. Not until you have your biggest need met in Christ. That's where true peace comes. And then you, could ex you can live, experience that God is truly with us. Let me pray. And we'll sing about those things. Father, thank you that you have promised you'll never leave us or forsake us. Thank you that you have given us your spirit and he will be with us forever. That we will one day see you face to face, not in a mirror darkly, but face to face. And I know there's a lot of chaos in the room. And I know there's a lot of chaos in life because it's, we live in a fallen world. Uh, and that one day there will actually be physical peace on earth when you are ruling and reigning. But until that day, we we find chaos. And so just give us peace through your word, trusting your word, obeying your word, knowing that we have peace with you. And ultimately then knowing that you have promised your presence with us forever and ever. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You guys can stand as we sing.